Hi, I'm Jared Ball, Chief Economist at the Committee for Economic Development of Australia, and welcome to another special edition of our podcast looking at the impacts of the coronavirus pandemic. Well, it's Wednesday, the 1st of April, and certainly in the last week, we've seen a really sharp focus on the labour market impacts of this crisis. Uh, we've seen some really concerning images of queues to Centrelink, uh, and we've also seen the government respond with a major package, a $130 billion wage subsidy. Uh, so to talk more about some of the challenges emerging from this in terms of the labour market and the range of improvements needed across the whole spectrum of human services, I was joined by Ruth Owen, Human Services Lead at EY. Now, Ruth has a wealth of experience, but perhaps most notably, she was the Deputy CEO and Chief Operating Officer of the UK equivalent of uh, Centrelink called Job Centre Plus during the global financial crisis in the UK when unemployment spiked. All right, I'm really pleased to be joined by Ruth Owen, Human Service Leader at uh, EY. Ruth, thanks for joining the podcast. Well, hi, Jared. Good to be here. So just to get us started, Ruth, um, be really interested to know more about uh, the role that you play at EY and, and the kind of areas that your team looks at. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, sure. So I lead the team across Oceania, across Australia and New Zealand, who focus on all forms of uh, human services. Obviously, we're offering a range of professional services to our clients who are in Commonwealth government, state or territory governments, or within the human services uh, provider network or sector. Uh, and our remit covers um, disability, um, child protection, vulnerable families, domestic violence, welfare, housing or homelessness, mental health, all those sort of issues where government and the government supply chain is seeking to intervene to improve the wellness and well-being of um, people suffering some kind of vulnerability generally. Wow, that's a that's a really big spectrum of, of services. And one of the things that was really interested to read in terms of your background is, is coming from the UK. Uh, you actually joined uh, the UK's Job Centre Plus as Deputy CEO and Chief Operating Officer um, around the time of the global financial mm. crisis. Um, and just, you know, juxtaposing that with the fact that um, here we are a week ago, we had these images of people um, queuing around the block um, at Centrelink. I think really interesting just to hear from you some of your reflections on that time that you had uh, at Job Centre Plus and, and kind of the challenges and, and what's required from organisations like Job Centre Plus and Centrelink in these sorts of circumstances. Yeah, it, does, it definitely feels like a flashback moment uh, right now. So when I joined Job Centre Plus, which as you say, is both the, um, the welfare Centrelink equivalent in the UK, but also the employment service. So our role was to make sure everybody got all the financial entitlements uh, that they were eligible for and to help people think about and search for and find uh, find employment right through the GFC. And my, my timing was impeccable and I, I took the job in November 2008 uh, and, and pretty much as soon as I started the role, uh, uh, yeah, the economy crashed and unemployment rocketed up really, really quickly. So fair to say that my original kind of uh, coming in 100-day plan went, went in the bin within days. Uh, and it was all about, you know, um, responsiveness. Uh, how do you respond to the crisis? Um, 
similarly to what's happening here, it was obviously about uh, large numbers of people losing their jobs with immediate effect and making sure that the government support could be wrapped around them. Um, didn't have the uh, the health uh, issues, obviously, we're facing in uh, coronavirus here, but certainly had to scale up really, really fast to make sure that as an organisation, we could pivot to uh, whatever our customers needed, whatever the government uh, needed, uh, and had to scale up. So in, in, in terms of volumes, my customer base doubled within a six-month period, uh, and I had to make sure that the organization was sufficiently scaled and um, flexible to respond to that. And I guess there's two challenges there, aren't there? Both the the number of clients and, and giving them the support and attention that they need, but also having, you know, as you say, scaling up the organization and having more staff and, and needing to engage them and, and keep morale up. How did you how did you sort of meet both of those um, needs simultaneously? Uh, so I think um, it's being really clear what it, what is it you're trying to achieve. Uh, and like uh, the current government, you know, our catchphrase was we'll do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to help um, people who've lost their job or who are just seeking support from the government right now. So um, from a client perspective, um, I thought it was really important that um, the, the organization kind of hung on to its values. I think that's quite important. You know, what's important is uh, we are empathetic to every single individual that comes into our office or into our virtual channels. Uh, and like today, in the last couple of weeks, we're talking about people uh, who've never experienced unemployment before, have never been to a job center or the equivalent of Centrelink office, as well as people who have uh, known unemployment before. So trying to adapt to make sure we understood every single customer and every customer remained uh, a human being with a backstory, uh, a family, hopes and ambitions for the future. Um, and we, they didn't get lost in the, you know, they are number 1,133,000. Uh, I thought that was really important from a customer point of view. Um, I had also learned lessons from the previous recession. So the 1980s recession, 1990 recession in the UK, you, you may well be aware, um, we had a lot of people who became unemployed and never worked again. Uh, and certain industries closed down and never revived. Uh, and from a kind of unemployment, employment services point of view, um, in essence, we wrote those people off. We thought, crikey, you know, people coming out of the mining industry, some of the hard old... Uh, manufacturing towns, um, we're never going to be able to help them. Let's move on. Let's help these fresh people who've come from white collar jobs and we can help them. And I was absolutely determined in the GFC that wouldn't happen. We'd never write anybody off and we'd always stay in touch with everybody, no matter what their circumstances, no matter what their job history, no matter what their uh, personal circumstances, you know, people with disabilities, people with caring responsibilities, everybody had a chance to get back into the labour market. Uh, if not straight away, then uh, you know at a time when the economy could have recovered. So we had to adapt our business model to make sure uh, we were flexible enough to stay in touch with everybody, but not not in the same way. Everybody had a very different set of uh, circumstances. So as you say, you know, um, seeing seeing people queue around the block is exactly what I faced. Um, Opening up digital channels, which uh, which became really really important, and obviously Centrelink doing the same through MyGov uh, was important. But we always made sure everybody had a personal advisor. There's a there was always a human being at the end of the process that people could 
turn to. Um, uh, and your point on staff is a, uh, is a equally important one because without the staff, the whole job becomes totally impossible. Human services, as you're well aware, is you know is a people business. At the end of the end, at the end of the day, it's people helping people. Uh, and I, I like to think um, government is normally best in a crisis. I think people really come to their best uh, and, and perform uh, out of their socks, really, because most people join the public service with a sense of purpose. Uh, uh, and many of us have been there a long time, seen many things, but when you get a crisis like this where you see people in desperate straits, uh, you, you know, the whole workforce rises to the challenge. And my job was to, you know, uh, keep everybody focused, uh, keep everybody reassured that what we were going to do was doable um, and that we connected back to that sense of purpose. So we all turn up every morning. We work all very, very long hours to uh, uh, make a difference for people in the community and to make sure nobody gets written off. I think there's some, there's some really great, great pointers there in terms of, you know, focusing on the individual and, and all individuals uh, and not, not writing people off, as you say, uh, you know, different, different countries did in past recessions. I guess that, that also does raise a question in the longer term here in Australia. Obviously, we had a, a review of our employment services model back in mm. 2018, which produced a, a, an employment services 2020 report. How well prepared do you think we are, um, certainly for those people who aren't, necessarily going to immediately go back into um, roles that they've they've previously held um, when we get back to some sort of state of normal um, the people who are going to have to um, go and, and look at other sectors how how well do you think our employment services yeah. is prepared for that I, I love the employment services model 2020 actually I've, I've discussed it with um, government representatives and it, it's very much among among more the lines of my view of um, you know, what the public or the publicly funded employment services should be doing. And, you know, it learns from many, many years of experience here of obviously a kind of um, uh, market-dominated model. Um, but the key to all of it is that is that flexibility. Uh, so previous models we have got, and UK has been the same in this. This isn't uh, uh, unique to Australia. Uh, you get caught in a kind of framework of these types of people get this sort of support, they get that kind of label and they're given to a provider with this amount of money and that's the kind of intervention regime that they are um, invited to participate in. Uh, uh, and, and back to our point about every human being is an individual, they don't always match the label that they've been diagnosed with, uh, their, their circumstances change over time. Um, so having that flexibility within the employment service model to uh, to really understand and to adapt the um, the provision, um, as you say, both in terms of um, skills for the future, what what skills people have, but also the you know attitudinal, motivational um, position of people entering the labour market, or um, other barriers um, that stop them getting uh, getting work straight away, and how do the employment service providers incentivised by the government uh, adapt their model to make sure that uh, they have um, they can adapt that uh, that service offering depending on what that individual needs at that moment, and I think that's what I really learned. My I know the phrase "whatever it takes" sounds trite at times, um, but genuinely, we we broke every rule in the book uh, in GFC, and and we changed policies on the run. We changed procurement frameworks, etc., just to make sure that we could adapt to 
both volume and uh, individual circumstances. And actually that that became the future framework in the end because we realized, you know, one size doesn't fit all in, in these circumstances and some of the frameworks and procedures we'd had in the past were just not fit for, um, you know, the multiplicity of customers that we were needing to help. Yeah, I think it's a really good, that phrase, breaking the rules, I'm hearing that uh, more and more in, in policymaking circles at the moment. And, you know, in some ways, perhaps it's it's a blessing mm. that we do have that Employment Services 2020 report on the shelf. Uh, and and it can be, it can be um, you know, drawn upon as we try to be more flexible and adaptable in that model. I think you you touched on before just the issue around around digitization in terms of your UK experience. Certainly, it's again sort of related to that issue of of Centrelink queuing. Um, we've also seen some of the limitations of our digital services here laid bare, whether that's capacity constraints of of MyGov or a very quick move uh, to allowing more telehealth, given the circumstances. Um, how do you think that we we take the opportunity out of this moment and advance the the kind of government services digital um, agenda? And and is that perhaps easier mm. Um, mm. given that the appetite in the community may have grown? Given given we're all yeah. using well, we have a lot to, more digital in, given in we're all we're we all remote the these days. But I think I think the big learning point has got to be uh, showing ourselves that that demand is there. I think in the in the broadest sense of human services, not just talking about Centrelink now, but uh, in the full range of human services, those of us that have worked here and in that sector for a number of years, you know, do strongly believe that the human touch uh, has a critical role to play. Uh, and I think sometimes we can be a little bit misguided with that because human touch is important and I would never advocate a kind of humanless human services sector, but it's how you augment uh, uh, what the contribution the workforce can make, that human touch, that need for individual contact or um, discretion or judgment with the ability to have um, both mass and tailored personalised communications with people through their device of choice. You know, most of us have our phone in our hands almost all the time right now trying to stay in touch with uh, people. Uh, uh, and, and while I totally understand what happened on the uh, the MyGov incident, um, what it's proved is people, you know, when they want to get in touch with government will use digital channels in their, in their millions. Um, so we need to build, we need to build off that. And, and again, in terms of timing, obviously the employment services model is on the shelf waiting as is, as is the vision for Services Australia, you know, it's only a couple of months old as a, as an agency and it has this amazing ambition to be, you know, all government services in one place through, you know, all channels through a device of your choice. And that's proving to be the right vision. It's just how quickly we can all get there. Yeah. I think that that's a really good, good point around, you know, the, the remaining need for the human touch and, and where digital delivery can help make some of the administrative and, and perhaps more monotonous parts of um, human service delivery easier and, and free people up um, to have those important interactions. Um, that's, that's critical. So if I think about, even if, even if policy keeps the unemployment rate from spiking as high as some people would expect it to, and, and even if we have um, the employment services working, uh, you know, more nimbly to, to move people into um, jobs, 
with the thing that I really worry about are the people who are already disadvantaged and vulnerable um, getting hit the hardest. And I think we've seen this um, from some of the studies around the impact of natural disasters in Australia years on. Um, you know, it's those who were mm. uh, most vulnerable who've who've taken the biggest hit to their their income. Um, so, if we could see anything different come out of this crisis in terms of how we deliver services and support to the most disadvantaged in our community, um, changing what what would you like that yeah, to be? Yeah, so I think, think um, you know, my passions uh, and my vision for how human services can continue to evolve and transform. I think firstly is um, is about joining up uh, and never letting people fall through the cracks. And I think I think that's what happens sometimes when you find um, individuals or families who are hit by a crisis. Um, as you say, bushfires is a is, is a good example here in in, in Australia, uh, where they don't have the resilience to recover as quickly as um, other other individuals or families might. And how you know how can you spot that? And how can government agencies join up and um, connect services around them? So I think that ability uh, that we now have through uh, data, data analytics, and the ability to share data across agencies, um, both anonymized data, you know, we can actually just look at the population and start to work out where are the risk factors within the vulnerable population, but also personalized data. You know, if you're a caseworker, you should be able to see what are the uh, other government agencies, whether it's health or education or mental health services or Sunlink or, you know, um, uh, local skills agencies, etc., family violence agencies, they all have uh, a, a lens on a particular vulnerable family, but they never seem to see that family um, holistically, another kind of full 360. And we've done quite a lot of this um, research in EY looking at uh, how people can fall through the cracks and how uh, customers within the human services sector feel like um the best people doing a great job, doing their best in their own individual agencies, just don't aren't able to join up the services around them. So I think I think that uh, ethos of let's look at the uh, end user and the customer in the round, let's work together. Uh, and what makes it different from you know 10, 20 years ago is the the technology, the data, the analytics uh, enables us to do that. Actually, you know, it used to be hard to share share data. It used to be hard to be able to work out who are the future vulnerable families. Um, but there's a lot of analytics that can help us do that now and reach out to people through you know, early intervention, early years, uh, childhood interventions, et cetera, that we can help families uh, uh, prevent crises and if they do fall into difficulty, build their resilience back out again. Yeah, I think that that's a, a really good point, and so, certainly consistent with some of the the work that we did last year, late last year uh, at Cedar on, mm. on disrupting disadvantage, and certainly we'll be continuing to look at this year. Um, Ruth, I, we're coming to the end of our time, and I always try to um, end these uh, podcasts at the moment on a bit of a positive note, given given that there is a lot of a lot of doom and gloom. Um, and hopefully this is hopefully this is actually a positive note to end on. Um, interested in, uh, mm -hmm. I, I assume you're working remotely at the moment. How are you finding it? Um, and how are you finding it with with the teams that you're leading? Yep, I, I um, definitely am working remotely. I think this is week three for EY. We shut down our offices three weeks ago and went 100% uh, virtual working. 
uh, and it takes a little while, of course, to uh, to settle in. Um, I guess you might say, you know, people in professional services, we've got laptops, we travel a lot. Um, but generally, we travel with teams and I'm, you know, I'm frequently working off my client sites. And that's probably my preferred style of working to be right there uh, alongside my clients. Um, but it's working. Uh, and, you know, we are we are getting the job done. Uh, we are all finding our own way of coping with different working styles, different working environments. Uh, and I think the key thing, you know, coming back to our theme about human services is all about people uh, people and connecting with other people at the end of the day, and I'm staying really closely in touch with my clients, trying to understand their pressure points. You know, everything changes hourly, daily, particularly in government at the moment. And with my own teams, you know, we're we're connecting virtually. Uh, you know, every day, I'm getting more pictures of people's cats and dogs and home environments now than uh, ever before. So we're trying to have a little <laughs> bit of fun and um, personal connection while we're all in this strange environment of, um, you know, somewhat somewhat isolation too. But I, uh, I, I can imagine the whole of the uh, Australian economy. Everybody is uh, is finding new ways to adapt to different circumstances. And while it's a terrible, terrible context that we're in we you know we will gain from some of that in the end i believe well that is that is a very encouraging note to end on uh ruth so uh we will end there and um i really do thank you for your time today